I love a good soundtrack. On any given day, to the sound of movie music, I'm Elizabeth Bennett, heady and floating through the fields just beyond Netherfield. I'm Kathleen Kelly, walking to the shop around the corner on a crisp autumn day in New York City. I'm 15 again, angsty and curled up in my waterbed, emoting to the Edward Scissorhands soundtrack, booming on my double cassette stereo. Or I'm me now. 40-something, dancing in the kitchen with my family to Mama Mia, and admittedly envisioning myself as Donna, cool 70s vibes included, on a Greek island, sigh, as I belt out Super Trooper, a family theme song of sorts, in my best share vibrato. With songs and soundtracks, I feel it all. I feel melancholy and pain. I feel hope and joy. I feel otherly and myself all the same. I feel possibility, inspiration, and imagination at work. You may have guessed by now that a few of my all-time favorite soundtracks include You've Got Mail, Pride and Prejudice, Mamma Mia, and Edward Scissorhands. They are my favorite because they make me feel something. I also tend to create a soundtrack for my life. You know how this works. You hear a song on the radio or a playlist, and instantly you're struck with an emotion, a time, a place, a person. You feel what you felt then. Ice, ice, baby, equal eighth grade, anyone? Well, dear listener, your soul has a soundtrack, even if you've never recognized it as such. It could be a playlist of pain, perhaps chronic stress like static you can't tune out, the low hum of white noise akin to anxiety. Maybe there is silence where you are aching to hear something, anything. Possibly your soundtrack is an ever-shifting, eclectic mix of happy and sad tunes. Your soul is speaking. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. goodness so so trina that that one sentence your soul is speaking heartlifter we're going to just take a pause right here from the very beginning what is your soul speaking lean into that that's our lean in moment here our teachable moment even before we get started talking to trina what is your soul speaking take a moment and pause right here and give yourself a moment to say, soul, speak to me. Here are some guiding questions that Trina offers us in her newest book, Unclutter Your Soul. What emotions, and maybe for the sake of this time together, what emotion keeps surfacing in my life? Do I have a propensity to ignore or numb my pain? I'll add, am I repressing? Am I pushing away? Am I acting out? 
And three, what is my soul trying to tell me today? And let's pray this beautiful prayer that Trina offers us in her book. Lord, you know me better than I know myself. I ask that you illuminate the eyes of my imagination and show me what I've been avoiding and what I cannot see. Help me not to fear the journey, but rather to take courage as we forge ahead and sort through the clutter together, you and me. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for healing my pain and for peace and joy that are available to me right here, right now, today, and every step of the way. Amen. I'm so happy to have you here, Trina. Thank you so much for bringing yourself, your wisdom to us. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Let's dive right in. Let's just dive right in because I want to value your time. Uh, your new book really struck my soul deeply because um, I do the. I'm a mental health practitioner, of course, and the soul is a big part of what I do. The heart, the mind, the body, of course. And we've been talking a lot in this community about overwhelm and how to overcome the overwhelm. So when I saw your subtitle particularly, I was like, oh man, if I could just, what an honor it would be to have Trina sit with us and talk to us about that. So why this book? Why now? And why are you writing it? Or did you write it? Yeah. Well, because I'm, I live it, I'm living it out. It has been my story. I'm a person that um, has a lot going on in their head. You know, when I use the word soul, I'm referring to your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so I, I'm a very emotional person, a sensitive person, and I just feel a lot. I think a lot and I get overwhelmed pretty easily. I wish it weren't so, but it is. And so I've had to walk through this process with the Lord. Um, otherwise it's, you know, I'm going to keep going backwards in life or be at a standstill. And I don't, I don't want that. I want to grow, um, in every aspect of my life, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And so I knew I had some growing up to do in my soul. And this book is that journey. Mm -hmm. You have four kids. Yes. Ages are? Uh, 19. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, first year of college. Uh, 16, so high schooler, and then middle school, um, 11 and 12. Wow. Yeah. So just in case, um, listeners, you hear rumbling in the background, we are under a severe thunderstorm watch here in my yeah. city and community. So um, I thought, I'm going to just keep going with this, and we'll see yeah. if uh, perhaps we need to take a break. But um, here we are. So no if you hear thunder, no it, is, it is perhaps it's God speaking to you. I'm not sure, but I am going to yeah. let you know there is a severe thunderstorm warning going on in my community. But you have four children, as you just said, and their ages are a great span. Trina, um, I appreciate your vulnerability in this book. 
which is a rare quality to be able to put that into words and have the emotions mm -hmm. in between each line of a book. And I appreciate how you've been able to, to capture that and help us really feel what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, is there a point or was there a point in your life where you remember like that feeling of overwhelm walking in? Mm -hmm. Perhaps yeah. in childhood or adolescence or adulthood where you're like, I just feel a sense of overwhelm and didn't really know what it was in the beginning but now have identified it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, as I look back, I would say like my mental health journey probably started in my teens when I was, you know, laying in my waterbed, listening to <laughs> melancholy Edward Scissorhands music, but I just didn't really understand. And people didn't talk a lot about that, you know, back in the nineties. So uh, I would say maybe there, but probably more so in my you know, twenties, probably right at 20 when I got married very young at 20. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, lived in a bit of a, a bubble in my church and school and my family of origin, and then got married and moved out of, you know, of course my parents' home out of state. Mm -hmm. Um, my husband and I were starting a church at the time. Oh, wow. my grandma had just died. It was just so much change. And yeah, I was overwhelmed. Although I don't think I had that language back then. Yeah. How would you define it now? I'm so curious because overwhelm is, is a new word that's coming as a result. I think it's getting a lot of attention because mm -hmm. of a global pandemic and the affects of that on all of our um, mental, spiritual, relational, communal lives. How would you paint that picture of overwhelm for us? How would you define that? Yeah. So that is a great question. And I don't think I really tr tr truly give a definition in the book of what overwhelm is, but to me, it's a bit of a storm, you know, it can kind of be building and you see it in the distance coming, or it can come in out of nowhere, the skies change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even if you think you can prepare for it, like a storm, you're, you're never know exactly what it's going to do. So I, when I feel overwhelmed, you know, I feel a real sense of being out of control in my life. And, you know, none of us like that feeling. We want some sense of control. And of course, I, you know, I've learned now that control is such an illusion. We, we don't have control over anything, no. but we grasp for it. So, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when, um, so many things are happening, happening at once when there's a storm and I look at it, I guess, like a storm on the inside. And it, it does for me at least entail, you know, um, the mental aspect and the emotional aspect and sometimes the physical aspect. Um, oh yeah, for sure. And sometimes all at once. Right. So yep. that's like a storm. And then in that, that's when I, I would start you know, grasping for some forms of control. And that could be as simple as, you know, um, a, a picture of a woman that just goes on a cleaning frenzy. Right. And like when I would be overwhelmed in parenting and the kids are constantly ripping up the house, you know, then I'm constantly nagging to clean and, you know, losing That's my over that. So I, I think it's when you start to find yourself grasping for forms of control, it's a good uh, indication that you are up against overwhelm. I think that's brilliant because it 
it prophetically is happening right now, <laughs> like I said. And yeah. I pulled the blind, I closed the blinds, I pulled my curtains so that um, I couldn't see outside with this uh, impending storm, but I can hear the thunder. Yeah. I think that's a massive mental picture of overwhelm to me. Like we can con try to control what's happening so we don't see it or feel it. We busy ourselves. We yeah. do whatever to ignore what's thundering in our brain. I think that's a, an amazing unfolding that you actually described it that way when it's actually yeah. literally physically happening Yeah, in my world over here. Yeah. I love that. And I think I, I'm really excited about this book, you know, coming into the world mm -hmm. in this time that we're in because, uh, you know, pre pandemic, of course, many of us were extremely overwhelmed, but we were just busying ourselves sure. with everything to ignore those signals and to not stop and deal with them. And then I think what happened is, you know, once the pandemic came and, you know, you're, you were kind of forced to begin to listen to the soundtrack of your soul. Um, and if you would, it's always an invitation. Some people, I think still then it's like, how do I tune that out? How do I busy oh, yeah. myself at home? And we saw that where people were doing lots of home projects or, you know, starting baking, new endeavor, right. you're right. Baking the bread, all the things. And then you still kind of, you keep coming to the end of yourself in a way. And you, you eventually, you know, are continually given the invitation to listen to that soundtrack, but um, it was one that was like, there was no avoiding it for the collective, you know, the collective of humanity, which is something rare. I think that we've never in our lifetimes have experienced. Yeah. I feel very much like those who have ears to hear and eyes to see it has been that invitation. Mm -hmm. So yeah. many still are wanting to refuse to, to accept the invitation. And my call is just yeah. continually, please, please at least read the invitation. Yes. Please just take a moment to consider saying yes to this invitation to soul transformation and um, inspection, you know, introspection. Yes. So what does it mean to you then to listen? I'm so intrigued um, because I love music and I can certainly <laughs> tell, I can tell you everywhere I was with every song. I was a dancer. I've danced my whole entire life, a choreographer, a dance teacher. So music is the foundation of my life in so many ways. So what does it mean to us as listeners, as humans, as heartlifters to listen to the soundtrack of our soul? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to make it very simple. It means to, to listen, uh, to, to stop. And the thing is, is that it often requires stillness. And I think that's hard even when, and that's what we were forced into was stillness. Uh, and you can busy yourself even when it's there, like we just discussed, but I think it's, um, accepting that invitation to stillness and to begin to listen. And if you don't know how, or you're afraid of it, that's okay. You know, it, it's, it's a pretty simple thing to do. You just have to decide that you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So for me, listening means I really begin to pay attention and pay attention to 
you know, the thoughts maybe that are on repeat, like a record player in my mind that I want to push out or I want to avoid, um, or that I'm listening to so much that it's just like white noise in the background. Like the thunder to, in the background. Yeah. Yeah, like the thunder. And so sometimes you just have to sit and listen. And I find it super helpful to have pen and paper. Um, I would say journal, but I know that freaks a lot of people out. You don't have to be a journaler. You can get a piece of paper from your printer. A napkin. Right. A pen, a napkin. But just, you know, if you hear a thought or you, you know, begin to pay attention to what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. then just write it down. Because I think when we see it visually, it really gives language to what's going on inside. There's something about seeing that because it is, it's just this white noise. It's just, I mean, I call it clutter, of course, yes. um, that's there. And we're so familiar with it. And I think that is one of the keys is we become so familiar with it. These things that are often doing damage to our souls, to our hearts, uh, we're, we're comfortable with it. We're familiar with it. So it's easier to just stay in that uncomfortable place or, you know, in kind of a soul sick place because it's familiar. Oh, it's so well said. I just want to take a pause. If you would allow Trina yeah, for everyone to just take a pause right now, wherever you mm-hmm. are, you may be nursing a baby, you may be fidgeting and trying to declutter your home because you're so stressed out um, and pick up a napkin, pick up a piece of paper, pick up a pen and write down just one thought. It, I know that I know because of the work that I do that it there hasn't been a thought that has gone through your brain. It's already gone through that. The minute Trina said, mm-hmm. There's traditionally a thought that keeps replaying itself or is stuck on the soundtrack. Um, I want you to just to write that down right now. That's all I want you to do and just tuck it away, stuff it in your bra, do whatever you need to do and keep listening. Okay. (laughs) So we've all taken a moment to write down that one thought that just flew through our brain that has been on repeat on our soundtrack. And what I want to ask you then, Trina, was what would, what might be the next step in uncluttering our mm-hmm. soul, our mind, our will, our intellect, all of that part of our soul? What's that next mm-hmm. little baby step? Because I know that we need baby steps, very practical steps when we're needing to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say... I mean, there's so many things and I, we kind of just in talking named a couple, the first, yeah, the first section of my book, I mean, really it's kind of a three-step process with lots of little sub steps, but the first one is observe because I just believe that's so important. And, and that one takes a lot of time, you know, either I find people are kind of natural at that and then you might get stuck in that phase. And that's me because I'm a writer. I'm just naturally observant. Um, or you are just, you're just ready to take action and you want to, you know, go on to the next thing. So, you know, eventually we get to taking action, but, um, in observing, you know, you kind of want to dig deep and I call it taking inventory and in the book. And I also have a, a free download. Um, I kind of help list out different types of soul clutter because, 
you know, you're, you're going to get that thought. I'm certain too, that when you took that pause, you had something to write down and you may know I struggle with anxiety or I struggle with depression or, um, I have a lot of emotional pain. You know, you may have kind of this overarching thing that's been in your life. Um, but in the taking inventory section in the book, I kind of break those things down. Like I think, uh, for me, I always have dealt with fear since I was a kid. And so it was really kind of looking at, you know, what exactly is fear and kind of how that ties in with anxiety. Some of these things are, are, are connected or I'm kind of layered and right layered. Yeah. So, um, depression has been something in my life, but I also am a little bit, you know, I can be a bit melancholy in a very artistic way. Uh, so I've had to, to, in my paying attention and my observing, you know, really kind of look at, am I melancholy? Is this sadness or is this actually depression? Because the, the point is when we really pay attention, I say paying attention precedes change. When we really can take note of what's really going on and kind of go through the layers, uh, then we're able to take action to go to that to the next step and, and own all of our, all of our stuff. But until we do that, we just, you, you can't move on. You don't want to, <laughs> you're no, putting the cart before the horse then. You are putting the cart before the horse. That's yeah. so good. I love that you have these three parts observe being the first. So we'll make sure we get to two and three, cause I know them, but I want everyone to know them, but you do write in observing is participation. One of the yes. first steps to clearing out clutter physical, mental, emotional, I will add, is to become a student of yourself. And I really just think that is just, that's it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I would add if I could, because as we're talking about that, it's like, well, you may know yourself well, but you might not have the language for what's happening on the inside of you. And, you know, since we are talking to believers, I, the part I do not want to leave out is the Holy Spirit. Yep. So this whole process for me has really been based on the help of the Holy Spirit. Like I would have these, I mean, I kind of call them clues. Like, yes, I know, you know, um, I can be melancholy or I've dealt with depression, but it's really then looking at it and asking the Holy Spirit, like, like David does in Psalms to examine his heart. And he's the one that begins to, to show us Yes. To de-layer, to kind of show, okay, here's what is behind that layer. And he is our wonderful counselor. And if we invite him to be that in our lives, then he does. And he's so amazing. Without a doubt. I'm so happy that you said that because we've been talking a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. Uh, last season, season eight, we had a whole lot of conversation about the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm unashamed about it and want very much to um, invite everyone to re-examine their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because I, I, knowing and doing what I do on a daily basis as a therapist, I could not gain insights or wisdom, or I call them um, whispers into the in-between of the layers, like to get that understanding without the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Listen here. Oh, look over there. Right. Oh, ah, right. It's that yeah. gentle, hopefully 
that we invite him. So it is a gentle, a gentle process of transformation and not have to get hit by a two by four, which I have very many times in my life. <laughs> but being a student of yourself to me is inextricable from being a student of the word, being a student of, yes. of all that God has revealed to us. You can't, you can't do one without the other. No. And he obviously knows us better than we know ourselves, right? He created us. He formed us in our mother's wombs and knit us together. So he knows so much about us and he knows so many pieces to our life that we sometimes forget that we need to be reminded of in order to be healed. I mean, I can't tell you, you know, I mean, I could tell you sometimes where um, there was very specific memories that the Holy Spirit would bring to me and help me to see how he was in, he was with me during those moments where, um, you know, maybe I was feeling hurt or pain, even as a child and just being able to picture and vision him there, know that he was there um, has brought so much healing. Oh gosh, I could just dig so deep here. I want to so badly. Um, but I will just read this. You write, the moments that force your attention, but also, and most importantly, okay, let me just read the whole sentence. One of the first steps to clearing out clutter is to become a student of yourself. The moments that force your attention, but also, and most importantly, your everyday life. Our lives have patterns. And so do our thoughts, like the weather like terrain, like how we pile clutter. We must begin to pay attention not only to our pain. Oh, and this is, I'm so grateful <laughs> for you writing this. We must pay, begin to pay attention not only to our pain, but also to our beliefs, our habits, our choices, our behaviors, our responses, our patterns and outcomes. It goes beyond making a list of strengths and weaknesses and takes us into the territory of why we react, respond, and behave as we do. When we know the why, and that's one of my tenets is welcome God into the whys, we can accept grace from God as well as ourselves. Your soul is speaking. Your emotions are trying to tell you something. Your anger, your sadness, your fear, your surprise, mm -hmm. your joy, your grief, your clutter. Mm -hmm. Oh, Tarina. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. So, so powerful. Okay, so that was step one, observing. Mm -hmm. And so that's listening to the soundtrack of your life. And then own. <sighs> so all this stuff that we uncover, we have to own it. We have to own all of the junk. And that's a hard one. That was... The hard one for me. I could just sit and observing all day with my journal and <laughs> keep digging Aww. deeper. And yeah, but you know, I I'm finding in my life and I'm still, you know, this is still a process that I return to and am continuing to have to work through, but that, um, action activates change. So owning was kind of a first action, um, in this process for me. And so the hard part is, you know, some of our soul clutter, some, some of it like originates with us, it's ours, but you know, other people help like crowd up your soul with clutter. They kind of participate in that. And, and the good thing is other people can help unclutter your soul too. But sometimes we look at that, depending on what our stories are, some of us are carrying very, 
very heavy things. And, you know, you, you may wonder even like, why is it hard to function in the day? Why do I feel like I don't have energy, you know, because you're carrying such heavy weight on the inside. And, and some of you that are carrying these heavy things, you know, they can be really hard things, um, like abuse and things that have been done to you. And so ownership can be very tender too, because then we look at like, well, this was done to me. And so um, I always speak very tenderly about this. There's been things in my life um, that have been done to me and that I have um, had a hard time dealing with and have felt very much like a victim, but I have found over time that remaining in that mindset has not brought any freedom into my life. Um, It's only kind of held me captive in the pain more. It hasn't served me well. So even though, you know, things might've been done to me, um, I still can own the change that I want to have in my life. I can just own my response to it and, and how I want to, you know, go forward in the future. And then sometimes with ownership, I've had to look at things like, um, I had, had a lot of chronic stress in my life. I write that in the book and that was something that, you know, some of it was because of other people in my life, creating all kinds of drama and, you know, I would get frustrated and say, oh, you know, this is the reason for the chronic stress. It took me a while to um, unpack that and listen to that. But then I would have to look at in my own ownership, how am I being complicit in this? Am I staying up too late? Am I, you know, trying to deal with the stress and with unhealthy coping mechanisms? Am I eating junk food? The answer is yes. I like to go to McDonald's when I'm stressed out. Um, You know, am I not exercising or doing good things for my body, whatever. So I, I could look and say, you know, what, even in the small way, like how, is there any complicity on, on my part? What can I do to take ownership? Yeah. You say to pay attention to your body and we have really also been season eight was a huge, beautiful season that unfolded here for our for us and we talked a lot about mind and body connection. So this is just, you're just right on time, Trina, taking us onward and upward and forward into greater steps towards paying attention to our bodies. What did that do for you? You have got a whole beautiful chapter written on it, so you have to read Unclutter Your Soul. And Miss Trina, you also just gave me a whole nother idea about a mindset. Like we can have growth mindsets, fixed mindsets. But now I think I'm going to be utilizing your work in my work with my clients with a cluttered mindset. Mm -hmm. And we can have a cluttered mindset due to subconscious trauma or drama or things that have been been done to us. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That is so powerful. So what is it? What is it that happens when we pay attention to our body? And why did you include that? Well, I think it goes back to that chronic stress. Um, situation that I was talking about, I was, you know, going through a lot in my family. There was a lot of drama. My parents were divorcing. Um, we were having to move. I lived with my family in my childhood home. It was just a lot going on at once. I write during that time. Um, I would have been in my early thirties. Oh, so early. Yeah. Early thirties. So yeah, my parents 
divorced after almost 40 years of marriage. Oh. And at that time, my husband and I had bought my childhood home. So I was raising my children there and kind of, you know, going through this dismantling of, sure. you know, life as I knew it yeah. um, while living in that house you know, I called it like the museum of memories. It was, yes. it was difficult and with little kids for little kids. So, um, you know, I was just having all kinds of issues in, in my body, um, where, you know, I'm sure many people can relate where, you know, you think you're having a heart attack or a stroke or something, you know, life-threatening. And then, you know, you end up in the ER and they tell you it's anxiety or you're having a panic attack. Yes. Not that you want it to be anything worse than that, but it's a bit of but a shock. Like, do. No way. This yeah. isn't, this isn't just stress. Yeah. So I had a couple episodes like that, um, just like continual hives in my body. And I would be trying all of these elimination diets and different things. And you know, still having the hives. And then finally, after lots of paying attention, understanding like what stress itself was doing to my body. Yeah. So um, I just found it really important to mm-hmm. begin to pay attention and to see that, you know, some of these physical ailments, so to speak, have a lot more to do with the emotional and mental side of my life. Yeah. And you write so brilliantly. And before we started, uh, I asked you if there was anything pounding on the table of your heart. And you were like, yeah, actually, it's about talking about things that you think you can't talk about, or that I added, you don't give yourself permission to talk about, or perhaps they're so deeply ingrained in the trauma of your childhood that you don't know you need to talk about them. I would love for you to help us all know what that means, why you added that, And what can we do to begin inviting people to the table as a body of Christ as well? You were a church planter. I'm I'm certain you have a heart for the body of Christ. And what do we do as women post-global pandemic to be different, to have a different faith journey so that we are talking about the things that matter? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that chapter. A lot of questions. I know, I know. So just rope me back in if I'm really around in. it. But um, <laughs> yeah, in that chapter, this is in the own section. Um, it's called "Talk About the Things That You Can't Talk About," Ugh. and I think for me, a lot of stress in my body um, was because of that. There's a lot of things going on, you know, in in my life and my family. Uh, so to speak, that I just couldn't talk about so many things that we deal with, or we might have anxiety or emotional pain or um, stress or depression from um, may not be like our immediate story, but we're, you know, we're cast in the story. It's just, you know, we're not the, we're not the leads, so to speak. And so um, we can't always share those stories. They aren't ours to tell, um, except that they affect us. And that part, you know, is what you don't want to just bury on the inside of you. So in that chapter, I talk specifically, um, about addiction, which is something that's very close to my heart. There's been a lot of that in my family. And for years I couldn't even like say the word, um, because it was so tender and I just, I didn't fully understand it. So, you know, my, my 
grandma who I write about, um, she's passed away, but she's given me permission to share her story. And she has a beautiful redemptive story. And, um, my sister who's also given me permission to share, but, you know, we carry these things and and we just can't talk about them. We bury them on the inside. And that does so much damage to us spiritually, physically, emotionally, the whole gambit. And so what I found was in, in dealing with addiction, um, was that I, there was a lot of grief there because, you know, you can grieve someone who's still alive and, you know, maybe it's not addiction. Maybe you have, um, a parent with Alzheimer's or, um, you know, maybe you have a child, uh, with special needs and it just wasn't how you thought that things were going to be. And there's, there's a a grief there. And so, you know, we have to be able to, to talk about those things. And so what I'm not saying is, you know, go onto Instagram and, and tell the whole world everything. Right. I don't think that's the healthy thing to do, no. but, you know, talk with a professional, talk with a counselor, a therapist, maybe a pastor in your church, or think about, you know, a friend that is truly a trusted friend. Mm-hmm. Um, because, they're there. Think about, you know, into your past, who have you been able to confide in, in the past? And they've been a safe place for you. Um, and I write a little bit about a friendship in there that I've had for a long time and someone that, you know, kind of knew my family from the beginning. And she was a friend that, um, is, wasn't afraid of grief. wasn't afraid of heavy things. You know, some, some people are, and that's okay. They're just not there yet. Or some people are just more wired to be able to sit in hard and heavy moments. So look for that friend that will sit there with you in that. And and for the long haul that will empathize with you, that will um, see your pain, help you name it. And they'll also be able to call out good in you and how you're going to be able to overcome and that things won't be like this forever. I think that's really important too. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I mean with that chapter, but I just think it's so important because we're all carrying these things and especially coming out of the, the pandemic, there's, there's so much loss. There's so many heavy things that people are carrying. And even, you know, maybe, um, really unhealthy coping mechanisms that we've picked up along the way. And we had to, we have to be able to talk about those things that to me is kind of a a super boost in being able to overcome is when you can be vulnerable with the right people and have them come alongside of you. I love, love, love that you taught about the Jewish tradition of sitting Shiva. Shiva, yes. Shiva how, how, how do I properly say that? I, I say Shiva, but. Shiva, okay. <laughs> yes. You, uh, I'm watching the clock and knowing respectfully, but will you just give us a peek yeah. into what that means, where and how you found it? And then if you want to know more, you must read Unclutter. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know. This is one of those things, Janelle, that I probably need to <laughs> go back to get it exactly right, but I can tell you the basis of it. That's and actually, yes. actually, I watched a movie, I don't know, it was probably like five years ago. I, I remember Jason Bateman was in it, but it was yes. kind of all about these um, adult children coming, their father had died and they all had to congregate back to the family home and sit Shiva. And basically, as I understand it in the Jewish faith, after someone passes, I think it's a period of seven days. So that's what 
we need to go back and reference in my sure. book, but it's a period, <laughs> yeah, it's a period of around seven days where, um, the family comes together and they, they just comfort each other. You kind of sit in that morning together. There's just a togetherness. And, um, my friend that I write about in the book, Aaron, who is a friend who I said can sit Shiva. And when I had to leave my childhood home, which was super hard, um, she came over and was with me at the very end when we walked out. And um, she's, she told me afterwards, you know, if we don't mourn, we can't be comforted. Right. And we need comfort when we're mourning. So it's this beautiful process. There's, there's nothing, I think it's hard to mourn or, you know, it's, it is, it is hard to do, but it, you're, you don't want to do that in front of others. We want to retreat and, and hide and not show that because it's, it can be really ugly. Right. I mean, but if we don't mourn, how can, how can people comfort us? And so, and, and comfort is, I mean, that's, that's playing a role of walking in the likeness of the Holy spirit. So I think it's a beautiful thing if in the appropriate way, if you can find those, a friend that can sit Shiva with you, that can be with you in your morning and then comfort you. And then in turn, the beautiful thing is it's an offering, you know, when, when someone offers you comfort, it's like you have eyes now to see other people that are grieving and mourning. And it's so much more natural for you to offer comfort. I think until, at least for me, until I kind of went through a, you know, a a pretty extreme crisis, it's like, I didn't know how to reach out to people that were in crisis. Maybe someone was in the hospital or someone, you know, lost a parent or a child. And it's like, you want to send that text. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And now you just, now it's like, you just kind of know, no, you just, you just do it. You know, I'm hanging. Yes. Face. Right. Yes. So allow yourself to be comforted. And in that you're going to learn how to come alongside other people and comfort them in their time of need. I'm wondering if in any way, shape or form, shame came into this because you've talked a lot about that feeling of guilt, keeping you from listening to the soundtrack of your life, from listening, you know, to moving forward, to being aware in your body, all of the things you've mentioned. Um, But anywhere may or may not was shame a piece of this if i show who i really am or if i show what i'm really dealing with mm-hmm. if i take off my facade of strength mm-hmm. will you still love me will you still believe that i'm you know worthy of your love. Is that any of that? It can be yes or no, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was a real delayering for me because I, you know, I think in, in the process of, of it, like at the beginning of my uncluttering journey, I would have said, no, shame's shame is not an issue for me. Um, until I really became, you know, came to understand a little bit more about shame. And I have that listed as one of the types of clutter, um, in the beginning of the book, um, to help people inventory their clutter. I love what Brene Brown says about it. I'm just going to read it. Uh, she said, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I, I had to look at that and say, oh, 
yeah, actually <laughs> there, there is shame there. And I think there is for a lot of people, we just don't see it as such, or we don't understand, you know, the origin or the genesis of it. Um, and there's another psychotherapist that I quote in the book, his name's James Burgo, but he breaks down shame into four different types. Mm-hmm. One is, um, unrequited love. So that's like rejection unreciprocated love, unwanted exposure. Um, that's kind of the, the basic definition that you think of, of shame, you know, being humiliated or someone yes. walks in on you when you're not dressed. Um, this one was big for me, disappointed expectation. Oh. You set out to do something failing and then exclusion, just, you know, being left out. And I think outside of the circle. Yeah. And when we're doing this um, work of the soul and of the heart. And when we're uncluttering, it can feel really isolating or when you're going through, um, you know, a crisis or trauma or something, you know, or a grief, it feels so isolating. You feel like you're kind of like the world is still moving and you're not. And so there can be this um, feeling of exclusion and being left out. And, I, and that's, I think, you know, one way that shame manifests itself and we just don't know to name it that Mm, so good i am so grateful i honestly i thank you so much and you know what the light bulb just went off in me before um i asked you all those questions that we did not give number three so oh no observe quickly just give me a we need to own and we need to and then we overcome yes yes (laughs) which maybe we can have another conversation about that because that's a whole nother conversation. I don't want to like sell people short on it. And it's a big word. It's a big promise. Yes, it is. So Mm -hmm. stay tuned. Hopefully we will have you back. If not, you can read it in Trina's new book, Unclutter Your Soul, Overcome What Overwhelms You. And I always say a good title is a great title when you don't have to look at your notes to read it. It's already in my spirit, like an intention. Janelle, unclutter your soul. You can overcome what overwhelms you. Let's yeah. just use that as our intention and affirmation for the rest of this week as we move forward. Thank oh, you that. again. Thank you, Janelle. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity. <laughs>